Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series entitled Discipleship 101. We will be looking at John's account of Jesus' final words to his disciples as he gives them the most important principles for what's required in order to be a follower of Jesus. Ultimately, we will see that it all boils down to the single goal of learning and listening to become like him. Thanks for joining us as we seek to challenge our Christian walks in conformity to what it means to become like Jesus. Uh, One of my new favorite uh, brands of commercials is by Geico. I don't know if you guys have seen this, uh, where they're turning into their dad. Has anyone ever seen those, those commercials? I am totally turning into my dad. Even my mom told me yesterday, she said, you are your father's son. Uh, I see this most of all in regards to my kids. So yesterday uh, we were driving from Channing back down to town and um, I had the two little ones in the back and they are having a great time. Just screaming in the car. And what does dad say up behind the wheel? Hey, keep it down back there, right? Don't, don't make me come back there. And I think I hear my own voice in my head and say, man, I'm getting old. Yeah, I'm getting old. Turning into your dad. My dad had a lot of really, really good sayings. I, I don't know if maybe you uh, knew the same ones. Maybe your dad said the same things uh, that my dad said. Here are a couple of his, his, his uh, keepers. He said, uh, don't make me turn this car. Yeah, you heard that one. Um, if it ain't broke, don't. You heard that one too. Uh, work smarter, not <clears throat> you. You know the same ones, yeah. They're all paying attention. Uh, don't. Uh, oh, if you start a job, finish it. Yeah, boy, I tell Micah that all the time. <clears throat> what else we got here? Um, if you're going to do something right, do it right the first time. That's right. Um, and then my favorite one: uh, don't tell your mom. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> that's the one I use too. I can remember another phrase that my dad would often say. Um, he'd say, are you, are you listening? Are you listening now? Because uh, I was blessed to have a dad who was a teacher. He was a teacher whether you liked it or not. My dad was a teacher. He was going to, whatever it was that he valued in life, that's the structure of our home. So to live in the home I grew up in was to live with a dad who was teaching. And as a teacher who was continually trying to invest into the next generation, those values That question, probably more than anything, was what I would often hear and I can remember. Are you listening? It's one to this day that I know I'm continuing to pass on to Micah uh, because uh, the apple don't fall far from the tree. And uh, I wasn't always listening. And so I know I got to get that into my son as well. Uh, My dad was trained as a um, one of the highest certified uh, timber fellers, a, a licensed timber operator. In fact, he in the state of Wisconsin was just one of a few who would actually put on the clinics to train and equip others for certification in felling trees. And uh, so growing up out in the woods with my dad, um, he was always teaching me how to run a saw. And I remember this was about five years ago, even when he was still sick, he was sitting in his chair and I was having to cut down a pine that was just in the way of where we were wanting to drive. And I mean, I've been running a saw for a while here and, and I've listened to them over the years, right? The 80-20 rule, you have to 20% in, 80% of the tree volume for your face cut, right? And that on the saw, it'll fall perpendicular with the grain for whatever direction you want it to fall. And so I said uh, to my dad, I bet I can get it to fall right there. And he said, all right, let's see. 
And um, so I'm cutting, and I'm, I'm right there, and I, I look back, and I see him doing one of these. Hey, hey. Yeah, what? Ain't going to hit the mark. Ain't going to hit where you're, where you're aiming. What are you saying? Of course it is. I'm, I can, I'm looking right down. I know where the tree's going to fall. It's going to fall right where I'm saying it's going to fall. Oh, it's going to fall 20 inches to the left, he says. He's way back there. How, how does he know this? I know right where it's going to fall. You want, you want to bet, Dad? You want to bet? So... Um, Cut the tree down. I hear it start to crack. Guess where it falls? 20 inches right to the left. Man. Are you listening? Right? Are you listening? Uh, Even this day, uh, even though my dad isn't here anymore, I seek to pass on those same values to my son. Um, I I wonder if if your dad has um, gone on to be with the Lord. How is your dad still alive today? In that which he invested into you, how is that still something that exists in your life? And, and maybe for you as fathers and grandfathers, how will you be remembered that the things that you treasure and value to pass those on such that the sons will look like the father? Hopefully you can catch the, the pregnant intention I'm, I'm giving in that illustration. Such that the sons will look like the father and, and sons and daughters for the scope of what we're referring to here in our faith, because we do serve a heavenly father. And the major issue above all is, are you listening? It's a major issue. And so we're going to start a new series uh, today. It's I'm calling it discipleship 101. Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? And, and what aspects of the faith do we have, but we need to continue to increase in such that it would be recognized? Man, you must be a kid of the king. Hey, All right, you, you, you must be a child of God because you look just like the father. You sound just like the father. You speak just like your father. That's what discipleship is. And to, to begin with on this, I don't want to complicate it in any way. The opening topic here is becoming like him. Because when we're talking about discipleship, this is what we mean. Now, granted, you can go to the Christian bookstore and buy a myriad of books out there, all upon this subject of discipleship. But if you were to boil discipleship down to its very base understanding, it's this right here. Of all of the different aspects that you and I can increase in our walk with the Lord, our nearness of our relationship with Him, this more than anything is what unites the, the path and the process of discipleship. It's you and I becoming less like the world, less of the flesh controlled, more spirit controlled so that we become like Him, looking like Him. It probably goes without saying, but just in case... Someone would be confused. This does not mean we're becoming God. It means that we're carrying upon the values and characteristics of God so that we would represent him. In the same way that you would want your family, your children to represent you well, we need to represent God well as well. Well as well. John 14 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out. Follow along. We're going to be in chapter uh, 14, verse 15, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. There's so much more in this passage than I have time to get through in the morning. So we're just going to we're going to hit the highlight points. All right. We're going to get those uh, those best bits right off the top specific to this topic. What did Jesus have in mind for his disciples? So as you turn to John 14, I want you to know. That Jesus at this time has just broke the news to his disciples that he's leaving. Um. 
I, it, it, it pains me to announce this morning, but I'm having to leave Grace Presbyterian. I'm not, I'm not. But you see how you felt in that moment, right? You're leaving? What are we going to do if you're leaving, right? If, if the teacher is leaving, the, the pupils and the students, they suddenly are like, you mean we're going to have to carry this out now? If you're not the one who's leading, we're going to have to lead? That's exactly how the disciples feel. The disciples in this moment, as Jesus says, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you're not going to be able to follow. They are starting to panic. So that's, that's the background, okay? That's where we're going to pick up the story. Don't worry, I'm, God willing, I'm not going anywhere. All right, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, uh, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak to you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So that, that gets us through <clears throat> chapter 14. Uh, just a few observations on this passage. Again, so much more than we can cover, so I'm just going to hit the highlight points. Number one, uh, to love God is to obey God. <clears throat> I really cannot make it any clearer than that. Um, to contrast this, uh, to love God is not to pay a tithe. That's not what it means to love God. Uh, to love God is not to, to stand and sing. That's, that's not to love God. Uh, to love God is not to, I'm, I'm going to church. I've been going to church. That's not to love God either. Now, I, I want you to know, all of those things are good things to do. But to truly love God is to obey Him. Let me ask you the question. Can you come to church but not be obeying God? 
throughout the week. Is that possible for anybody? Yeah. Um, can you sing a song in church but not obey God? Is that possible? Can you put a, a buck in the plate but not obey God? Yeah. Do you, you, see, you see the problem? There's so many things that the church, in terms of our ability to institutionalize faith, have made the, the kind of the metric for how we know if we're disciples, but it's really not amounting to anything. If you want to love God, you do what? Let's say it together. To love God is to obey him. Now, if you had any question as to whether that was true, Jesus wants to make sure he hammers home the point. So look with me back in the text three times mentioned. Verse 15, if you love me, you will what? Obey what I've commanded. If you didn't catch it the first time, look to verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who there you go. He, if you didn't catch it that way, he put it in the reverse, right? So if you love me, obey. And those who obey, they love. And if you didn't catch it the first two times, look, he says it again, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Um, in fact, if you didn't catch it those three times, he say, he'll say it in the reverse. If you need to hear it in the negative, look at verse 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So do I need to belabor the point anymore, church? Do you understand it? If you claim to love God, you will what? Obey. That's it. All the fathers know exactly what I'm talking about. You moms know exactly what I'm talking about as well, too. Because when you tell your child, hey, it's time to turn the TV off, and they go, uh-huh. <laughs> do they love you? Is that showing respect to you? Is that honoring you as, as, as your father and mother? No, it's not. Do you know what makes my heart sore is when I hear a yes, sir, yes, mom, yes, dad. Ah, boy, that makes me feel respected. That makes me feel loved. This is exactly the issue with us as believers. We heard in Romans 8 already. Right? Those who are controlled by the sinful nature, those who are controlled by the flesh, can't please. You won't and you can't please God. But if instead you're led by the Spirit... Now you can do that, which is impossible for you and I to do. You can do obedience. Obedience here now. Obedience is a question of our hearts. Everybody with me on that? Obedience to God is not a question of external formality to the rituals of being a church in America. I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. This is what we do in our church. That not, has nothing to do with love for God. All of it boils down to a matter of a heart. And being as a matter of a heart, your life to obey his commands or not will be reflected to show if it's true that you truly do love him or you don't. Secondly, if you look again in the scripture, to obey God is, it's impossible. So you cannot do this alone. Uh, We'd have to turn to a few other passages to see this. Uh, But the Apostle Paul will say that the reason the law was given was to show you that you're a sinner. The people who were following God in Israel thought that they were made righteous by their adherence to the law, not at all recognizing they failed to keep it. Even if they kept the letter of it, they failed at the heart of it. For Jesus says, you've heard that it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, anybody who has lust in his heart for the woman is guilty of it. Penalty of adultery was a steep penalty as well. Most of them Pharisees could say, I've never never done that. While all along their hearts are wicked and led astray. You see, it's the heart that matters. And the law was shown. It was given to the people 
It's still for us in God's word to prove to us we're lawbreakers. Now, if we're lawbreakers and we cannot fulfill his law, do you know what that means that you need? What's the name of our church? Grace. It means you need grace. This is the, God's entire scope to save humanity was to show you the dual fact of you cannot do it. I will do it all for you because that brings God such glory. To obey God, it's impossible. It's also impossible for you as um, those who confess Jesus unless you get a new heart. If your heart gets changed, which that's what, that's what our passage in Ezekiel said, will take out your old stony, rock, stiff-necked heart and give you a new heart, give you a new spirit. It's the spirit of God that will enable you to do this impossible task. If you look in, in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey what I command. And the very next verse, right after obedience, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I think of when uh, I'm dealing with my kids and they're fighting, and I say, no, apologize, apologize to your brother. And the next words out of her mouth are, but he needs to, I, but it, it's impossible. I, you want me to apologize? I can't apologize. And so very quickly, I know that she, it's impossible for her to do. Very quickly, I say, and I will speak to him, and he'll apologize as well. Right? There, there's this intermediary between that impossible task such that I will make it such that you can do this. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and, and things are resolved. Because the Father knows this is too hard for you to do on your own. Church, it is too hard for you and I on our own to obey. In fact, it is impossible. Not my words. Romans chapter 8. We just, read, we just heard it. Uh, Rosanna read it for us. The man who is controlled by the sinful nature by the flesh will not please God, cannot honor God or please God. So though it's impossible, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So the third observation is God has given us his spirit. And then he lists these characteristics. And this is what I want us to look at as we're working towards an understanding of how do we become like him? If we're talking about discipleship and the church is all about making disciples, you need to look less like you and more like Jesus. In what way does the spirit help us with this? So number one, uh, the spirit is called the, this is Greek now, paraclete. If you've heard that before, your Bible might have a counselor. Uh, other versions say the word advocate. Someone say helper. This is the Greek word though. It's paraclete. I'd encourage you to give a definition behind that. So let me give that to you now. It's made up of kind of two Greek terms. It comes from the root word kaleo, which means to call, to call out. And then para, a prefix meaning alongside. So the parakaleo or the paraclete is one who calls out to you alongside. Uh, the first thought I had in my mind was my high school track coach. This lady, oh, she was the devil. Oh, my goodness. She, made, she wasn't the devil, but, man, she made us run when we didn't want to run. And for her, it's like she enjoyed the pain of running is what it felt like. So all of us are huffing down the road, and she's right alongside saying, come on, faster, keep going, you can do it. Or have you ever uh, weightlifting? Any, anybody knows what, what you need when you're doing bench press? Anyone who's smart has who behind them? A spotter, right? And what's the spotter's job to do? Yeah, not, not just be there if, if you drop it, right? 
but to call out to you in the middle of it. Come on, get your form. You can do this. One more. Let's go. You can do this. To keep you on the right track. Um, it's, it's that in your voice in your car when you're driving and the, the direction is, says to go this way and you're going to turn and it has to recalculate how to get you back on track. It's the one who calls out to you on the journey of life. That's the spirit. The counselor. By counselor, it's looking at a legal term. If you were in a courtroom is the idea. It's not counselor like laying on a couch and like, so how does that make you feel? That's not the kind of counselor. It's the kind of counselor like um, you're the one on trial and who's the one sitting next to you with all the expertise? The lawyer or the, the counselor. Right? That, that's the idea. The, the Spirit is for us this one who provides the course correction, who provides the encouragement to keep going, and the direction to say, you can do this. Let me help you do this. A few other things about him. The Spirit will abide with you forever. This, by the way, in Romans chapter 8 is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. So I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, as the third member of the Trinity, is the same Spirit that was in Jesus. It's Jesus' Spirit. It's not Jesus as the person. I don't want us to get confused here on the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is unique in His function to us, in that He indwells us forever. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is where Jesus is. Boy, we would be up a crick without a patter without the Spirit, though. Exactly what the disciples were afraid of. You mean you're going to leave and we got to do this thing on our own now? You were our leader. Jesus says, I'm going to send you one who will never leave you. He will never leave you. The same spirit that was in Jesus. The spirit that comes from the Father. Even as Jesus says, these words I say are not my own. They come from the Father. Where did you think Jesus got those words from? From the Spirit. That's what's been offered to you. You are offered as well the Spirit of God, and He will never leave you. Do you ever feel like He has, though? Anybody have a week like that where it's just like, or, or, or a moment like that when the uh, truck pulls out from LP right in front of you, and you go, where'd the Spirit suddenly go? No, the Spirit's right there making you not say the things you feel like saying. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. What's it say? Always. Always. Even to the very end of the age. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, to quote back in Deuteronomy, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Uh, where, where are your high school friends? Everybody have a high school friend, just that best buddy in, in school. Where, where are they today? A, a handful of you know where they are. The majority of us in here? I got no idea. Not here. Anyone ever feel betrayed by a friend in school? Anyone know what that feels like? Yeah. Yeah, understand this. The aspect of characteristic of undying faithfulness to abide with you forever is not something that we see modeled on earth very well but it is a promise given to you from God to aid you and me in the work of discipleship, becoming like him. So he's the paraclete. He's abiding forever. Next, he's called the spirit of truth. I cannot emphasize to you enough how important this is. I, I do a whole nother, I'll just do a whole nother 30 minute sermon right now on this one point, but I won't, I'm tempted to, but I won't. But I want you to just know in terms of importance, 
This is so important. Can anybody tell me the native language of the devil? What does he speak? Lies. Say it again. Lies. Yes, the, the, the devil's native language is deception. Now, let me ask you a question. Whenever you were tricked by something in your life or deceived by something, were you aware of it immediately? You understand? That's not how deception works. Deception works by tricking you subtly, thinking that it was real. Any good fake is an almost one-to-one mirror of the real. That's how you make a counterfeit. And so the devil will come looking, as Paul teaches us, like an angel of light. And his workers, the devil's servants, they're workers of righteousness. They look like they're workers of righteousness. They're masquerading as servants of righteousness. So you and I will be tricked unless we have the spirit of truth. I cannot emphasize to you enough in the world that you and I live in today how many lies are out there. And, and we are being fooled by them. We're being fooled by them in so many ways because they play, they prey upon our own sinful desires for my way, for what I want, for if I was God, this is how I would do it. None of us are comfortable to, to really acknowledge the glory of the Almighty God without the spirit of truth. We all of us would reject him because we'd rather have it our way, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. We would all go that same way unless we had the spirit of truth. Listen to how John records this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. He's speaking here about these false teachers who are in the world. He'll call them Antichrist, those who oppose and do not recognize Jesus. He'll say that uh, you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. What was the question my dad was always asking me? Are you? Yeah. So the world is listening to these false teachers. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Again, you can see that's the key issue here. This is how we recognize, there it is, the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So, all right, there, there we go. That was like three minutes, but we, we could go more on that, right? Spirit of truth, of almost all of the attributes of the spirit, this is right there up at the top. A couple other ones here. He uh, will abide inside of us. If you look with me back to verse 18, he's, or it's 17. In verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. How cool is that? Not this external thing any longer, but this thing that has you to know right in your heart. He's going to live and dwell in your heart. <clears throat> the other day, I bought one of these uh, knockoff uh, Bluetooth headphones, you know, the $20 kind that look like they're from Apple. Yeah, I can never get it open. It's another thing my dad always said, you get what you... Yeah, you, you know, exactly, right? So ch- check these out. Don't these annoy you whenever you see somebody with, with one of these walking around? Right? Cannot hear anything out of this side right now. But uh, you, can, you can see people who are having a conversation with nobody. They're just talking away because they're wearing one of these in their ear. Kind of nice, though. Hands-free, right? I can do what I need to do. This is a little bit of what the Spirit is like in us. The, the Spirit of God is not something external to us. He, he's hands-free. He's giving you direction right from within you. 
to show you what it is you're to do, to what you're not supposed to do. Uh, actually, to remake your conscience. A conscience is the part of you that knows when it's departing from God's will. We don't obey. We have broken consciences, but the Spirit in us helps to repair it so it works the way God designed it to be. He will abide forever. He's the Spirit of truth, and He abides inside us. Just a few more. He is our teacher. If you look down to verse 26, again, when the paraclete or counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things. Now, here's the issue. I should be real frank with this. The Spirit is always teaching. It's not a question of to whether or not the Spirit is teaching. It's a question as to whether or not you and I are what? That's the issue. Just like that arrogant five years ago kid with the chainsaw. I know what I'm doing. I can see what I'm doing. I'm not listening. Teaching was coming. Teaching was right there. It was offered to us. And God is such a gentleman. He, he, won't, he won't force it upon you. He'll let you have the results of your own desires. You want to run your life your way? You let me know how that goes for you. I could tell you a lot of stories in my life where mistakes have been made because I thought I knew best how to run things. Boy, he is our teacher. The question is, are you and I actually listening? I fear that sometimes because we're so bent upon our own desires, we just, we just don't hear. Either we don't want to hear, choose to, or it's the type of stuff that we don't want it to carry it to its logical conclusion. It, it bores us. It's the type of stuff that we would avoid. It reminds me of um, sometimes if my wife can't fall asleep at night, um, I will start rehearsing science to her, biology, like teaching her about cellular respiration, <laughs> photosynthesis, and ATP, and how it works inside the mitochondria. <laughs> she doesn't want to hear it, right? Or uh, for me, when my, my son wants to come up to me and, and show me the newest things with his Pokemon cards, I do the slow blink. Do you guys know what the slow blink is? It's... It's like, it's not connecting, right? This is, this is just not connecting with me. Because it's not, it's not something I'm interested in. And if I'm not interested in it, if it doesn't have any benefit for me, well, you, you can keep whatever instruction you're giving, you can keep it to yourself. And I feel like that's what we do with God too often. Truth is right there. Oh, but, I, but, but here's another expert, but science says this, but what about this issue? And, and what we do is we dodge and we avoid the plain fact as it's offered to us. He is teaching. Are we listening? That's the issue. All right, and then because he knew we wouldn't be listening, I love this. Look at the very next thing he says. Uh, the Spirit also is a reminder for us. So again there in verse 26, right? The, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you. Boy, God is good. I mean, sometimes we forget on purpose. Sometimes we forget on accident. The Spirit to live in us it's that reminder to know this is where you ought to be. This is where you're to walk. This is where you're to avoid. You want to be a disciple? You want to look like him? Let me help remind you of this truth. Let me help remind you of the characteristic of what a Christ follower looks like. Boy, the Spirit is good to have that work in our lives. Lastly is peace. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The Spirit gives peace. Do you, you guys have heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Many of you have memorized it. Love, joy, and then, uh, then what? 
There it is. Love, joy, and peace. And all the rest. They come from the Spirit of God. If you want to know peace, you must know the Spirit. So what do we do with this? Let me wrap this up. Here's my question. Um, How do we know the Spirit in order to love Jesus by obeying Him? And I might, I actually wish I had changed this before I printed off your sermon notes. I wish I changed the word know. As important as that word is, we need to know the Spirit. I'd rather put the word listen in there. And uh, if, if you wanted to cross it off and just put, how do we listen to the Spirit to love Jesus by obeying Him? Because remember, that's the issue. If you're, if you're my disciple, Jesus says, if, if you're one who's following after me, you, if you really love me, you will what? Obey me. What did we learn today? Obeying God is impossible to do alone, and so we need the Spirit. How do we do this now? How do we listen to the Spirit so that we can love Jesus by obeying Him? And here's the issue. Number one, make your heart His home. Number two, there isn't a number two. This is it. That's all I got for you. Number one, that's all there is. If you really want to learn to listen to the Spirit, so love Jesus by obeying Him, your heart needs to be transformed. When I was a single man, uh, before I got married, um, I did not even know that you could decorate your walls with things. I didn't know that was a thing that you could do. I didn't know what candles are really for either. Uh, um, all the smells. All, I, seriously, as a single... single you Guys, come on, back me up here, right? You got your guns and your bows and your beef jerky, and then we're good, right? That's all, I'm all set. But when she came into the home, the home became transformed. It actually became a home. It was just a place to sleep before that. A little twin-sized bed. She said, that ain't going to do. Let me fix that too. Uh, This is what I mean when I say you need to make your heart Christ's home. If you can think of all of the rooms in your heart. Uh, some of those you've opened the doors to, right? But I think for a lot of people, we like the idea of Jesus. Maybe because our parents guilted us into it, or maybe because we just think it's, it's the right thing to do. And so what we do is we've kind of cracked the door a little bit, and Jesus is standing on the, the doorstep. He's really not invited in because, ah, maybe you come back when I clean this place up a little bit, right? I didn't know you were coming right now. Had you called ahead of time, I would have prepared for you. But that's not what Jesus is interested in. Jesus wants to walk into whatever your heart has. And then you're going to have some of those rooms that you keep locked. And he'll go test the door over there. What's in here? Ain't nothing for you in there, Jesus. You don't want to bother with that room. We don't go there often anyways. Come over here. Look at this uh, thing over here. Um, what, What it means to make your heart his home means that he has full access. Church, he has full access to every part of your life. Those parts that you're ashamed of. Those parts that even you find more pride and glory in than you should. Jesus wants to remake it all. In fact, this isn't coming from me. It's right out of our text. Look with me one more time in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Boy, my my home, my house changed when I got married. Salvation is pictured in marriage as being reconciled with God. So imagine that. You, when you were saved, you put on the ring of salvation that now you belong to God. I want you to know the very logical step after that. 
necessary step is that you now have him welcome into your home to change it and to make it new and to make it fresh and all that it should be. Two ways to do this. Uh, Number one, you need to spend time with God. So I I don't know about you, but I bet it will not work uh, super well for you to know the needs of your family without spending time with them. Um, Husbands are gone all the time. Uh, You're going to be pretty clueless as to the needs that are going on in the home. If you want to know what your kids need, spend time with them. If you want to know what your spouse needs, spend time with him or her. Same is true with God. As true as I could preach on family for this, that's just an illustration to show you you cannot have your heart truly be his home if you're not spending any time with him. If there's no conversation between you and God going on, don't think for a moment that you're going to actually have a clue as to what he wills for in your life. It will simply be drowned out by your own desires. Secondly, listen to God. There you go. That's it. How do you make your heart his home? Spend time with God. Listen to God. And you will learn. Remember that was the question my dad asked? Are you listening? Right? You will learn his will. You will know what it means to be a Christ follower and a disciple. Last story and then I'm going to be done. Uh, This past week I was... Uh, over at the Ditzenberger's place, uh, hanging out with uh, Quint and Shannon. They, they sit over in the back here. And um, I, was, uh, I brought Micah along with me because we were going to practice music up here at the church, and he runs the slide. So uh, he came along for the ride, and um, Quint took him out towards the shed and was showing him the new smoker and the grill and, and everything. And I was there talking with Shannon, talking about the weather and wood ticks, and you know how it goes, right? And then suddenly, we see these sparks flying over in the shed or over in the workshop. She says, maybe maybe you should go over and see what's happening over there. And so I go over there, and uh, lo and behold, this is what I encounter. <laughs> My 11-year-old arc welding his name into a piece of steel. It was very cool. Uh, Quint saw this young man who, impressionable and teachable, uh, a passion and a love of his was, hey, young man, let, let me show you this. Have you, have you ever learned this new skill? Have you ever tried this? Now, uh, he, he's not looking directly at the, at the uh, spark there because you're not supposed to do that. But Quint all along was guiding Micah, was telling him, now this is how you do. He didn't just say, Here, here's the trigger. Good luck. Knock yourself out, kid. Have a good time making sparks. That's not what he did. He showed him the right way to do it. And we spent a good 30, 40 minutes there as Micah continued to, to practice because Quint just loved this. Here was this young guy ready to learn. And Micah got really good at it. How did he get good at it? Number one, he spent time with him. Number two, he listened to him. And now he has this skill that he didn't have before. Not that he's going to fix anything. Don't call him to come fix your stuff. But burgeoning interest here in a new uh, chapter in his life for something that he can learn. All because he spent time with somebody. And he listened to them. Folks, that's the same answer here. If you're going to make Christ your home, if you are really going to listen to the Spirit, to love Jesus so that you obey him, you've got to spend time with him, you have to listen to him.